I'm Frederick Gerten, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. So, this is actually a long time since we've seen each other, and, and you look great. And this Thank is you. Pushback Talks. We are actually back in on, on air, you say? On air? On air. What yeah. season is this, Frederick? I think it's the this opening to season... Five. No. Season five. No. It is, it? it is season five. And I, I thought I was it was just, season four. Uh, yeah. You are still in the holiday mode, I can hear. Exactly. And I we just checked the numbers of countries who have downloaded mm. our um, podcast, and it's now up to 147 countries. New wow. countries in were Palestine, of course, because you are now, I mean, with your Palestine in your veins, um, yes. you also have followers there. So that's cool. That's very cool. That's cool. But today we're not going to talk about uh, Palestine. We're going to talk about something that is close to me and something that is total, a totally undertold story in global media. The, the very, very interesting constitutional process in Chile. Um, and, and as you know, there was a big uprising uh, October 2019. It, the country totally exploded. And this happens in many countries that people get so angry, so things explode. But in Chile, this turned very quick to be very constructive. They demanded a new constitution. They wanted a constitution from 1980 that the, the old di military dictatorship uh, put in, which, amongst other things, privatized water, for example. Exactly. Um, so they, people demanded a new constitution, and, there were, and they also, the, 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 the politicians need to give after, so there was uh, approved a new constitutional process, 80% voted for it. And the new assembly that was that was elected was 50% women, over, over up to 13% of uh, indigenous peoples, and all regions represented. So in some ways, the most representative assembly in the history of the world. Very interesting. And I know that you have been um, advising a bit on your the human right to housing. But Just we, a little bit. But we have a friend uh, coming into the podcast here uh, who has also been active. She's Chilean. She is a former colleague of yours as a special rapporteur on extreme poverty, uh, Magdalena Sepulveda. Welcome to Pushback Talks, Magdalena. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So 4th of September, there was a plebiscite. The Chileans could vote yes or no to the new constitution. What did they vote for? What was, the, what was this new constitution? Unfortunately, uh, Chileans voters overwhelmingly rejected the constitution. So more or around 60% of the voters with compulsory voting um, said no to, to the new constitution. Um, this was really a blow on the face to those of us that promoted the constitution. Um, the text was not perfect, but actually it was a very good text um, and, and a big difference uh, and contrast with the current text that because of the voting um, on the 4th, it's still valid. So because of the rejection, we continue with the 1980 
constitution drawn during the military regime. That's that's a big blow. Uh, I I've been filming in Chile during this period, also been in the constitutional process and, and meeting with people and interviewing. So I know it's been very intense. And and amongst one of the parts we were filming was up in the north where there are rivers without water, where all the small farmers are suddenly without water because the, the mining companies and the, the monoculture, which is a lot of avocado and other things, are taking all the water, so the rivers are totally dry, which means that a lot of small farmers are totally out of everything. And they have to slaughter their animals and so on. So it's, it's, very, it's a very clear-cut conflict in many parts of Chile. But I could feel when I was up there that this new constitution is actually confronting very big financial interests. And this weekend, just before the, the plebiscite, I was reading an editorial in Washington Post. And it started, the text started with 25% of the lithium reserves in the world is in Chile. So there is a, a very big reason to look into this, this constitutional process in Chile, meaning that for American interests or for Chinese interests, whoever it is, a yes to this constitution would be a threat to their financial interests. I'm just saying that this constitution was really confronting big financial interests. And, and I think that's, that's interesting. I, it, that, is, that is true. Um, but I also think that we need to learn some lessons. I mean, the, the rejection was overwhelming. Uh, there was fake news. There was a lot of um, sort of negative portrayals in the media. Um, but I also think that my compatriots are um, have some information and they, they took a decision that it wasn't the one that I wanted, but they took a decision and we need to learn the lessons. What, there are positive signs coming out of this, this, um, this rejection. Um, one very important sign for us is that our democracy work. And uh, as you said, Frederick, at the beginning, I mean, we started with a huge uh, social unrest, uh, unprecedented in the country since the 80s and, and during the Pinochet regime. And this social uprising was channeled through an institutional mechanism of changing the constitution. And then the whole process began, and then um, people have been participating, democracy work. And on the 4th of September, there was an amazing, um, everything worked very well. I mean, the, the electoral service worked well. It was an unprecedented number of voters, and it was calm, uh, no violence, everybody voted. So I think that our democracy uh, has been strengthened during the process. Mm. I think for me, this, you know, my what I'm working on now is kind of an idea around the social contract. What is, what are we agreeing at, on as citizens in a society? And what we find is that the, all of us are following the social contract, but the people who win, they're breaking it, basically. The, the billionaires, the rich people, the mine owners, the 
they are like breaking the rules that the rest of us follow. They don't really belong to any country. They have different passports. They move around their money. So I think what was interesting in Chile was that it was almost like a rewriting of, of a social contract in some way. Also, a process where you were actually, people were sitting down and saying, okay, what country would we like to have? What would we like our country to be? It was a very utopian uh, way of taking into this. And it, and, and it was fascinating to follow because it was also a process where they were inviting speakers all the time from all over the countries. There were regional committees, they these constitutional people. They went out to the villages and they listened to people and people could actually pre-vote in some drafts of the legislation. So it was very very uh, interactive uh, process. I, th I think, and as I totally agree with you, Magdalena, that this process will leave its tracks for a very long time in Chile. It's a, it, it was a very mature process. Maybe the flaws were that the people who were elected didn't have so much of a political culture. I mean the culture of making compromises and to be politically smart. So maybe they in some way made it easier for the big financial interest to to shoot them down because that's you're always up against very powerful but leilani i need to let you in here a little bit because you're a lawyer and for you law is important so what what inspiration did you see in this mm. chilean process mm. so i think so many lessons learned as magdalena said but for me what was so thrilling was the idea, and Magdalena already said it, but I'll, I'll reiterate, the idea that this massive social movement understood that what they needed was new law. And it's not always the case. You see social movements uprising, but it's not always the case that it manifests in a demand for a new constitution or for constitutional reform. And for me, I, I found it fascinating that that's where the social movements went because, of course, laws, for me, are very important. It's the structures of our society. And I mean, I see very few losses here when I'm looking at, from what I've heard about the process from you, Frederick, and, and also from Magdalena and others, and from what I saw and what I've read myself, and even the result in a way, I mean, they shot for the moon. That was a moon constitution. It was, it was a recognition that everything is necessary to make huge change. In other words, it is as important to recognize indigenous peoples and the right to water, housing, education, as it is to address directly the financial actors in order to change society. In other words, everything has to change in order to change. Uh, maybe I'm not being very articulate, but I, I think that more good came out of this than negative. It was... Uh, Law is the slowest thing to change. It is very difficult to change law. This was like the first kick at the can, in a way. Mm. There will be constitutional reform in Chile, for sure. 100% yeah. for sure. It just didn't happen on September 4th. No. And 
it was also compared to other constitutions around the world a very detailed Magdalena maybe you can tell us about this was like almost 180 pages and how many different paragraphs it was like it was intensely detailed wasn't it Magdalena It was at the beginning, actually, but then there was a process in which they concised the text and the text wasn't longer than many other constitutions around the world. But I I also think that, I mean, the the text was um, progressive, but I think we we have been with colleagues and and peers been analyzing um, the complexities of the factors behind this overwhelming rejection. And we believe that one of the things that can be rescued and there's been consensus upon is about the change in moving towards uh, a social democratic state and the inclusion of economic, social and cultural rights in the new constitution. Mm-hmm. The problems or the, I mean, there were several, it's, it's, it's not easy to, to, to really uh, identify all of them. But most of the sectors that were um, against the, the text were against very specific clauses that are not related to, um, to this one. Um, mm. It was problematic for some sectors of the population, um, actually the recognition of a purely national state. So it would have been the first time, and this is it is also very problematic. It would have been the first time in which Chile, in all his history, we're independent from 1810, will recognize indigenous peoples who are 13% of our population. It was the first time, but um, that was extremely problematic. Another problem or another sort of obstacle for for many sectors was the replacement of our Senate um, for a chamber of regions. So we are a a bicameral state, um, but that was impacting on the presidential um, way in which Chile exists for uh, centuries. Um, And that was also problematic for some sectors. So what, what I think, it ha- and, and also as Frederick said, I mean, the, the, the campaign against the constitution was very good. Um, they did a very good work. Um, they were very strategic. They put a lot of lies, um, but uh, this was a problem. And what I see more problematic is that people really, the status quo really seems to have a problem with the fact that common people were uh, the ones writing this constitution. They were not experts. Uh, they were really very similar to the way in which our country is, our real country. They were in um, sharp contrast with our politicians. They came from different backgrounds. They were much younger. Um, they were not from the leads. And they did an amazing job. I have to tell you, Madeleine, I was I was following two young um, constituentes who are young women who are part of this elected to to write the constitution. And first of all, the constitution was mainly written during the other president, the right wing president uh, Piñera, and he didn't support this process a lot with money. So basically, they were totally underpaid. 
and they most of them didn't have money to have staff you know you're actually writing a constitution you need research people you need a, and most of them had like students and ju- very very junior people working with them and they were all totally overworked you know when chile took a break for for summer uh, they were they kept working you know so it was a group of people that are very close to breakdown in some way and so I, I think that that was it's a part of it also that the, the maybe the quality wasn't all the way, but it's also how you how you communicate what you do. It's very hard if you don't have the best communicators. And I mean, I'm interested in this. You know, you know Leilani also since before. I'm interested in the what the most powerful people do with all their money. They are buying political agenda. They are buying political language. They are buying election campaigns. I mean, yeah. the, the industry, the influence industry of winning elections is a billion dollar industry. And they are flying all over the world from New York, from London, everywhere into election campaigns to spin it the way the money wants. Of course, it's easier to spin it if your opposition is not well organized. And I think it was when the claim came to have a new constitution, the whole country was in turmoil, and, it, and nobody could spin against that. It was too hard. They tried, but 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 they, now they had more time. So I, when I was there, I felt I was in Chile now in December. I could feel that this will be a tough one because they actually take on very strong interests. Mm. I'm interested to know who lined up against the constitution. I mean, was it as Frederick was saying, Magdalena, the the those with money? And do you think now there may be a kind of new polarization within Chile where those with money, power, a seat at certain tables have created a, a, another wedge with the people who actually crafted the constitution? I mean, I, I before you, I can go back and say what I, you know, the Washington Post did editorial yeah. about the lithium rights. I mean, Chile right. is a, is one of the, the biggest mining nations in in the world. It's copper mainly, but a lot of other things, and it's exports to everywhere, but not to to the Asia and to the U.S. Um, but it's also a big country in in agricultural export yes. industry. So these are two extremely influential powers. And you can see, I mean, as the native peoples had such a strong say in this process, the conflict zones are out there in the forest, in the lakes, in the rivers, in the mountains. That's where the expansion is coming. So, so, and we know that that's a global pattern that the, the people out there in the in the nature trying to preserve, and they are most threatened. That's, I mean, in, if we go to right. Brazil. Who are killed the most? It's, it's it's native native peoples or people who protect the forests, and you can go to Africa. It's the same. And so I think it's, this constitution was confronting strong financial interests. Sorry, mm-hmm. Magdalena, I was supposed to leave it for you. No, I, I think you're right, but I think that it's much more complex than that. Of course. Because if you look at, I mean, um, all regions where indigenous peoples are overrepresented, voted against, 
Petorca, a, a region mm -hmm. that has no water because it's been privatized and sometimes mm -hmm. they just have no water for um, individual consumption because it's used for agriculture, um, voted against the constitution. Mm -hmm. So I but I, do you think I was in, I was in, I was in favor, but I, I cannot uh, but is support that so the idea. But I mean, if you, my... go, if you go to the countryside in any country, there are very few employers out there. Is is the mining companies, and then you have the the agricultural sector. I mean, it's it's, and you have somebody telling you that if you vote for this, you will lose your job. I mean, this is this is the classical conflict in. In all these sections, uh, I, I don't. Yes, I, I, I don't. I, I agree. I don't find it so strange. Yeah, I agree, but it's sixty percent of almost all the voters, thirteen million people. So uh, I, I think that I would like to to agree with that and consider that as the only cause. It will be much simpler. Um, no, but it's not the only cause. But I mean, it's, I mean, their job is to spin against the, com the the constitution, and of course, then they they will spin it in a way that makes most people to go their way. Of course. It, but could it? I, I mean, you know, I, I I really have no ear to the ground, so I'm only thinking intellectually here. But. I mean, could it be that people felt it was too much? That yes, we want um, rights to water, to higher education, to housing. Uh, yes, we want indigenous peoples recognized, but as a whole, the also constant, free abortion. Just free, yeah, exactly. Mm. It was just. Yeah. too much. Mm. I mean, this is what I mean about, you know, as an advocate, I've been involved <laughs> for 25 years in trying to change laws. And it's like, I know it is so slow just to get a small change in law. Mm. And so th there is an inherent conservatism, not just by lawmakers, but people yeah. in for change, right? Change takes forever. We know this, Magdalena, as advocates. <laughs> we mm. know. Frederick, you know, as a filmmaker, you see how slow change is. So I did wonder if it was just maybe for people, it was just too much. I talked to a dear yeah. friend in Chile yesterday, and she basically said that the the constituents the people writing it they they wanted to get everything in one blow they really wanted to have it all and that was a mistake so i mean but you we can talk about tactics forever of course <laughs> um but i think overall the the process has been really inspiring and it i think it this process should keep inspire the world and i think it does it, of course it's it's better if you win uh, but I mean, already now in Chile, there there are talks about a new constitutional process. Of course, the the right will try to to keep that away as much as possible. But it's sooner or later it will come. A, a question. I mean, you're not saying, Magdalena, that as overwhelming as the vote was against this constitution, it wasn't a vote for the old constitution. No, no, it was not. I think that there is agreement and, and actually there was um, an entry referendum. And as Frederick noted before, I mean, 80% of the voter at the time voted for changing the, the 1980s constitution. So I think that there is a lot of minimum that we need to take 
because the, the constitutional process is going to continue. And I want to be, I'm very depressed for the result on the 4th of September. But if I, if I take, uh, try to look at sort of the, the glass half full, I would say that um, they're, they're among those minimum, there are very important things. Um, one is, as I said, this uh, idea to have uh, a social democratic state. And that is a paradigm shift in what we have. We have a constitution that put the state in a subsidiary role. So it says literally that the private sector has to fulfill the, the economic, social and cultural rights and only when they can, it comes a state. So that is a big paradigm shift. The other point is gender equality. And that is also, I mean, we are a very conservative country and it's, it's hard even for me to recognize. So. A lot of what you said, uh, Leilani, makes sense. I mean, and, and many analysts have said that it, it maybe was too much. There were too many factors, and that is related to what Frederick said. I mean, this idea of compromise. There was two-thirds quorum for the approval of the text. So already, the, constitution, the members of the Constitutional Assembly were forced to negotiate, but it wasn't enough. There, there were some provisions in the text that, for many, <laughs> it went too far. But gender parity, uh, the social rights, certain social rights, I don't know, it's hard to tell now, if um, the fact that we have privatized, I mean, the, the current constitution privatized water, if we can go all the way back to deprivatize that, but this idea, I mean, we have to understand that the, the October 19 social uprising came because of demands on the enjoyments of economic, social and cultural rights, right to water, social pension, housing, food. So those demands are still there. And the challenge now is that if those demands are not satisfied in the process that it come, the social uprising going to come again. That has not changed. Of course. Yeah. I was, yesterday, um, I, I got to see a Chilean film called My Imaginary Country by the legendary Chilean documentary filmmaker Patricio Guzman, who is famous because he made a film called Batalla de Chile, which the Battle of Chile, which came out in the 70s. So he's been around for a long time, and he's like, in some way, the 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 Chilean's history teller. Um, and in, in the opening of that film, is the, it, it, it is the uprising. But he also talks about people who say, we don't have any ideology. We don't belong to any party. We are just angry. Mm. So there is a, a lot of anger. And anger is, is, of course, in some way in revolutionary force. It's also very dangerous. And, and uh, so I think that sh the, this uprising has in some way been split in two in Chile. And, it, and they even have name for it. They have the Octoberists and the Novemberists. The, the Novemberists are the people who actually want to go for the new constitution and to, to find a new way forward. The other ones, they just want to keep the, in some way, keep the anger boiling. And, and when you take a street fight, you lose a lot. You have friends in prison. You have 400 people lost their eyes. The police were shooting them in their eyes. So you can imagine that the, the amount of bitterness out there. And, and, you know, 
when we were there filming now in December, I mean, it was also dangerous for us to step into that zone because the anger is so strong. Um, And I think that is also a factor amongst many other, let's say, working middle-class Chileans that they also want to get their country back, get their streets back in some way, you know, because people basically want to live their lives, you know, as good as they mm. can. Mm. So, so, so if you keep this street fighting going on, at some point you might lose your support. And I think there is a factor of that also in, in this outcome. And I, and I think that's also what Guzman talks about this, this anger out there is also when there, when nobody belongs to any political party, there's no real, there are no real leaders. Yes. It means that you can't negotiate. You know, yes. in the old days, you could negotiate with the union leaders or the the social leaders in some ways, and they could say, "Okay, guys, let's let's calm down for a while. Now we have talks going on." Yeah. So that is so, a, a very think, interesting point about. Uh, sorry for yeah, no, come in, come about in. the political parties because if you look back, what happened was that people voted eighty percent to say we don't want politicians to write a new constitution. We want common people to write the constitution. Eighty percent voted for that. But of course, that is very problematic, and for the reasons that they were mentioned. I mean, you have common people without support, without money, without the training. They were social leaders for some causes, but a constitution required a comprehensive understanding of the law. You need a technical normative um, skills to write a constitution and to negotiate it. So this was done without the support of political parties, but on purpose. And now what is happening? It's, it seems now that the solution because the president has called to continue this constitutional process and he has gone back to the political parties. Uh, and then now it is up on the constitutional, the political parties to find, and we might go again through a constitutional process that it's uncertain now if we're going to go to a constitutional process again by civilian or we're going to latch the Congress that has a very different um, representation in terms of political parties to continue this process. So I think that that is the lesson to learn. There was this around the world, no, there is this skepticism and and, uh, nobody wants politicians anymore, but suddenly work without the institutional political parties make things more difficult. We don't have the answer, but it is a challenge that is clear in what happened in yeah, Chile. Yeah, that is, that is super interesting and, and also a bit depressing <laughs> because we want, I mean, part of what gave me chills about what was happening in Chile was that this was people-driven from the movement to the actual drafting, people-driven. And, and that's why it was such an amazing constitution, because it came from the ground. It came from actual need, using law to address need, lo- using law to address um, the, the, the structural changes necessary to make people live better lives, to allow people to live better lives. So, mm. But one thing I did want to put on the table here for our listeners, because I'm not sure, ev- we have these 140, how many countries? 148 countries. 147. Um, not everyone would know how neoliberal Chile 
is and the roots, you know, that, I mean, if they've seen Push the film, they'll know because there's a segment in Push where Milton Friedman's uh, very neoliberal, more neoliberal than Margaret Thatcher in a way, um, and everyone knows about Margaret Thatcher. So just to say that Chile is at end, there were a lot of mm, traditional economic successes and I, I, I'm putting that in quotes because for the people, it wasn't a success. But I mean, Chile managed to become an OECD country, which was be related to this neoliberal economic policies. The very policies that in my work, people are now fighting against in country after country because of what it's done to housing, for example, making it a, this huge commodity. And to the nature, you know, to, and, the, to yeah. the very earth. Absolutely. But yeah. it's, I mean, Chile is the, in, still the kind of the economic wonder country of Latin America, but it's also yeah. the country with a, with the biggest divide. Exactly. So, so, and that divide is, of course, what we see in the uprising. People had enough. Yeah. I think in the beginning of our talk, I talked a little bit about the influence industry mm. and what people with the most money do. And I think that that is also about law. You know, they are not only buying winners in elections, they are drafting legislations. They are into the nitty gritty details of new laws. That's how the lobbyists work. And they always work in a way so it, it serves their interest. And I think with campaign money and, you know, legal or illegal campaign money, you move the political scale. We see that a lot in the US. It's like, it's so obvious. Yeah. But of course, that also leads to that people feel that it's, you know, you can't trust the politicians because they're always in somebody else's pocket. And what, what do we do then when we vote and the people we, we, we vote for? You know, see, in West Virginia, if you w vote for a Democrat, he, then he says, oh, no, by the way, I'm, I'm, I will be a Republican now when I won. You know, it's like this kind of, or if you vote for a Democrat and then he suddenly turns to be a the, the coal industry's best man, you know, it's, it's, I think that kind of, our democracy is under threat, not only in Chile, uh, because of the, of the political, the campaign money that make politicians, it's very hard for politicians to go against that money, because if you go against it, they can take you, it, the same money can take you down. So I, I, for me, the uprising in Chile is also an uprising against a kind of a corrupt political culture. Mm. And, and this is not a Chilean phenomenon. I mean, if you see what happens in France with the a, with a yellow vests, that uprising has a very different tone and maybe also political color, but it's, it's the same anger. It's the same anger. That you are running off with a millionaire, with the billions, and we are down here. And, you know, I mean, I saw a figure today in the US about how much money Bezos, Musk, and all these guys, uh, Zuckerberg, made uh, the last uh, 10 years. I mean, they, they 10, 20 times their, their money. And the minimum wage in the US hasn't moved at all, you know. So, of course, those numbers are very clear. Those numbers means that people have a right to be angry. And then the politicians are, unfortunately, even good politicians are in some way in the hands of 
that money. They need to, they need to, it's there and they have to handle it in some way. And that's really complicated. Also mm -hmm. in a country like Sweden, we have election this, this week, you know, so it's, it's, uh, the, you can, you can feel the corporate money in the air in every election campaign. That's very scary. And, and, the, and the popular reactions to that are not always very constructive. And I think the cool thing with Chile is that it was so constructive in the end, actually demanded a new constitution, and that there has been this very open dialogue, you know, how shall we run our country better? Let me, Magdalena, I think this, is, this will continue, won't it? It, it will continue, and, and in that sense, I mean, I, 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 I had my hopes in, in the Constitutional Convention. It was not perfect, it, it commit mistakes, but it was much more closer to a description of our society than our politicians. But it is also true that many members of the status quo, including uh, center-left, um, all politicians from the center-left, they couldn't deal with that. They couldn't deal with the fact that they were out of the picture and they were not going the future of the country. So these um, sort of leaders from the left, uh, some of them, made a huge damage to the process because they came out publicly against the constitution. We have been in democracy for more than 30 years and only one president, that it was Michelle Bachelet, she was the only one calling for the approval of the constitution. And we have uh, Christian Democrats, we have a socialist president uh, still alive and they call for the rejection. So, I mean, this is just to say how complex it was, but I, I agree with Frederick, I mean, Politicians um, everywhere. I mean, there is a lot of um, corporate money involved from all the political spectrum. That it's also clear that it's also happening in Chile, and also people people are angry. I mean, they're young people, and they have the right to be angry. We are um, the most unequal country of the OECD. Um, the system, the economic and political system that we have had benefited mainly the elites. Um, and people know that, they have seen it, they live it. So they were on the street because of that. Um, but then that is again the complexities. I mean, m there was a majority of young people voting against this constitution and that really break my heart. But I, but I understand, it, it's also a vote of rejection against the system. Our member of the Constitutional Convention, although they became, I mean, they, they were common citizens, uh, start to be perceived by, by the population as politicians. And, and, and again, think about egos, but also think about how the media manipulated this. So they were 155. And you have one member, I mean, one, for example, was elected because he said, and all his campaign was that um, he has cancer and have no access to, to medicines that would have been correct, but he didn't have cancer. It was a lie. So he was out of the constitutional convention, but imagine how this was feeding into those that were against the rejection. And then you have other members that 
I don't know, because they were inexperienced, as Frederick said, will come, will go to the media and said, oh no, this constitution is just abolishing private property. And then you will have the media that it was, uh, of course, had a very clear intention of destroying, because we don't have plurality of media, it's just a corporate media, would say the constitutional convention is saying that the constitution will abolish private property. So there was all this element. So there is problems in the process in which the constitutional convention work. Part of it is out of the lack of support that they have, the lack of experience, the lack of having sort of a good communication mechanism to disseminate and to but it's also very, very difficult, almost impossible, to, to destroy the myth that the control of the media in the country, TV, radio, and, and, and print newspaper, they're almost from the same corporation in Chile, and only one. Uh, it, it was almost impossible to break that. So the, the, the chances were low, but still I have to say that those who voted for approval, and, and I'm in, we're, we're 38%, we're, we're not that few either. It is people that we wanted a change immediately. And we how, many, how, many how many people? The, the electoral, I'm very bad for math, but the electorate was 30 million. So it is 38% uh, uh, of 13 million people. So 3 million. That it was the, the total electorate. And Many believe, millions of people. Exactly. There was, it, it was several million people that we believe it was possible. We understood that the constitution wasn't perfect, but we also, as, as you, Le Leilani said, believe yeah. in the law as a mechanism to um, improve and create the mechanism and put in place the institutions to improve certain things in the constitution that were not good. So we neither side is stupid uh, and that is why it's make this very complex but I also think that there are a lot of lessons to learn there is also the global problem so we have high level of inflation around the world because of the war in Ukraine we are in a social and economic crisis due to COVID I mean the world and the macroeconomic system in this moment it's a very difficult and complex one and middle classes are suffering all around the world. They just, their cost of living have uh, increased considerably. And somehow there is this analyst that link this to people kind of link this vote as um, an approval rating and a vote against the government. And they are not happy because the economy is not good. It, it's not related to the government, of course, but this is, people's perception that also influence the outcome. Yeah. I mean, that's the sometimes the flaw of democracy that when you, especially when you, I mean, both in a, in a presidential election or in a, when you choose between two options, yes or no, in something, we have Brexit as a very good example, you know, <laughs> what did they, what did people really vote for on Brexit? Did they vote, yeah. you know, I mean, so it's, it, it Complex things are, are very hard to handle in a yes and no situation. Magdalena, it was really nice to have you on our show. Uh, I know Leilani has to rush out because she's always booked and busy. Now, since the your holidays are over, for good yeah. or for... So sad, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and it's been an incredible conversation. And I think, you know... 
it's really important to not let these moments pass. The I can hear the disappointment in Magdalene. I can, and we are on Zoom here. People don't know we do this by Zoom as well, and I can see it on her face. The the deep disappointment, but to to dwell in these moments and to really try to understand what did actually happen here and and how to move forward and and keep it positive, uh, because it's it's. Well, I think it's a historic moment for the for the world, not just for Chile. Um, and I, I view it, I'm not on the inside, I'm not on the ground. So for me, I still feel the positivity even despite the, the results. So, but it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, uh, now we are off. This was the first episode of season five and we will keep coming. And we will, I guess we will talk about a lot about your the shift to human rights directives, for example, you need to give us more info about that. But also, dear listeners, write to us and tell us what you think we should talk about and ask us questions and uh, keep it keep it going. And, and also tell your friends about the podcast. And uh, it's on all platforms so people can find it. And, and we are on um, Twitter, both me and Leilani, and, and, and Push the Film. If you want to see it, push the film, you can go to the website, pushthefilm.com. If you want to support uh, this podcast, because we do it without any money, Leilani knows exactly how to do that. <laughs> oh, gosh, I can barely remember. <laughs> I think we have a Patreon account. So if you go to patreon.com, you'll figure out how to find Pushback Talks, and you can support us in any little bit. Mm. Helps. If you're extremely rich, you can send checks, but <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. So I guess we have more more poor friends, but still, we, we love you all. <laughs> and uh, well, see you soon. I guess you have to rush off. I have to rush into the editing of my new film. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's also next, next time we're going to talk about your film, maybe, Frederick. Maybe Hear one day. Hear a little day. bit more. One day. Maybe one day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye, and ciao. ciao. Thank you, Magdalena. Thank you, thank you Leilani. Thanks, Magdalena. Bye. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To support the podcast, become a patron by going to patreon.com slash pushbacktalks or follow us on social media at make underscore the shift and push underscore the film. <laughs>